Congress gave the IRS a big fat funding boost, partly to add staff over the next several years. Now the agency says it has something to show for the money, lots of new hires. The IRS is making these hires under the Inflation Reduction Act, which gave the agency $60 billion over 10 years for modernization. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has the latest here. What kind of staffing does the IRS have now, Jory? Well, the IRS is on the verge of crossing a pretty major threshold here. It's close to reaching 90,000 full-time employees. This is a staffing level the agency hasn't seen in more than a decade. And this is going across all areas here. This is going towards the taxpayer experience side of things. This is going towards enforcement, IT, you name it. This is something that is getting a plus up in employees. We heard recently from IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel commemorating the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is driving all of this hiring. He says that the agency is making pretty good progress on hiring, but this is for some context, you know, a level of workforce the IRS had in the past. This is a healthy state for the IRS, and this is just them catching up to that state now. And this is the workforce that Werfel says the agency needs to do a 21st century handling of tax administration. We've proved that the question shouldn't be, can the IRS improve? The question should be, can the IRS continue to improve? Um, so, uh, so the momentum is good, but we have to keep it going. Well, the question is, what's the right level? 200,000 people, 300,000, they're getting to 100,000 now. So what level of hiring does the agency say it still needs to make? in the next year or so. Well, by the end of 2024, the IRS is looking to hire 20,000 additional IRS employees. That's 10,000 this year, and that's 10,000 next year. And the focus, again, is going to be on taxpayer services and enforcement. Taxpayer services, does that mean the call centers or people to answer the phones or people to help individuals or, I guess, small businesses or large businesses with tax questions? Yeah, it's really all of the above. It's the people manning the call centers. It's the people processing tax returns, things of that nature. And then on the enforcement side, it is ramping up there because, as Warfel pointed out, the IRS currently has about 2,600 staff to handle all of the high-income taxpayers and corporations they deal with, and that's a population of 390,000. And these are people that have hundreds of thousands of pages when it comes to their tax returns. Right. And if you add in the lawyers, it's almost a million people they have to deal with. So <laughs> 2,600 versus a million. Yeah, it doesn't seem too evenly stacked. But they're looking for employees in other areas of IRS too, aren't they? A big focus and this comes up every time the IRS talks about hiring, they're looking to bring in data scientists. The IRS deals with volumes and volumes of data, being able to slice and dice that a little bit more, make smarter decisions when it comes to audits. Also, just getting this top talent from accounting and law firms to, again, go after tax cheats. These are all people the IRS is looking at. Werfel says that they're looking at all spectrums here, people who are just starting their careers, people who are midway through their careers, and people who may be coming out of retirement in some cases. That experience is really key when it comes to some of these niche issues. And the IRS, of course, has ongoing information technology issues and updating some of the older systems that they're still running, redoing software and so forth. In all of these places where Werfel has been talking, did he mention IT employees or is that something they plan to just simply contract out? It's likely going to be a combination of both. We didn't hear specifically on the IT front what the IRS has really been front of mind with in terms of the first wave of Inflation Reduction Act investments is that taxpayer experience, recognizing that it hasn't been at a level where it needs to be recently. We went from 15% of calls getting answered last 
year's filing season to 87%. So that's one thing that they really point to as a sign of progress. IT surely is going to be coming down the road in terms of a spotlight on that. And outside of hiring people, what else does Werfel say the IRS plans to do with all this inflation reduction money coming? Again, a theme here, more improvements towards the taxpayer experience. The IRS next year's filing season is going to roll out a callback option for 95% of callers who are trying to seek live assistance. This doesn't seem like a big deal if you're trying to reach your bank or some other private financial institution, but this is a big deal for the IRS. This is something they've been talking years about, and it's finally here. The IRS in the coming years is also going to fully digitize all the tax returns it receives. That's going to cut weeks down in terms of processing of especially paper-based tax returns, but they say this is going to improve all tax returns in terms of that processing. The agency also just needs this money to stay on top of a new wave of tax scams. Werfel said that artificial intelligence is kicking a lot of these scams into overdrive, and so they need to stay on top of that. History will not judge our success based on the last 12 months. It will judge us on how we do in the next 12 months and beyond. As our strategic operating plan outlines, we need to do much, much more. Having this funding means we can build the capabilities and the solutions to help taxpayers now and in the future with the staffing and the tools and the technology appropriate for today, not 2010 or previous decades. And the IRS does not lack for people watching over site of it. It's got TIGTA. It has the GAO. What are these so-called watchdogs saying about the IRS especially the hiring efforts. We recently heard from TIGDA about this. They took a look at the IRS and its ability to use pay incentives to bring in-demand people, mission-critical people on board. Think of those people who are going after those high-income earners. They found that the IRS used these pay incentives and it has a variety of these at its disposal to recruit, retain, or relocate employees. They made these incentive payments out to bring about 1,400 employees on board between fiscal 2019 and 2022. For some context here, the IRS paid about a million and a half dollars through these incentives, and the vast majority of these went to IRS employees to get them back to the office in 2020 at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. And these are not gigantic payments. We're talking five to $10,000. It's not like you get a year's salary to come back or anything. Right. These are pretty modest in terms of what this means for a, a person's bottom line. But it is a sweetener to get someone who is a IT person or a data person or some emerging tech thing where the IRS is lacking in terms of competing with the private sector. And probably this did not come up, but I imagine the IRS must have a plan for dealing with annuities for people that get rehired say, after they retired, pension annuity at that point, if they go back full time as an employee. I imagine that didn't come up, but I think the IRS is probably thinking about that. The IRS is hiring back former employees who had retired and dealing with these kinds of issues because they are in-demand people with a very particular set of skills. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And check out his coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello. 
and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching that vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, 
And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast a vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, the, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed. Uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole approach because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do. But integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part, okay? I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the, and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. 
So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. That's just mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.